I think podcast wise for for home office, I think you would you would definitely need to internalize it. It would be American Income Life centralized, but I could see just getting on top performers like the number one producer. Yep, zooming them in, or it would be cool if it. I really emphasize in person. Mm-hmm. I really push for in person because there's something about the quality when it comes to content of a podcast of in person. You can see when you record everything like the physical body language and expressions of people just brings it up like 10 times yeah you know but i could see that would be really cool the leaders court like doing like a quarterly like you know award winner or something like that or okay. quarterly i think it would be really cool like because i thought about this like extensively the other day and like top sgas and sga stories yep. and and bringing sgas that retired and, and or people that are retired and are getting renewables it'd be really it'd be really good and accessible for the entire company opposed to like the little, the, like the, the leadership academies and things we do, which all that information is probably recorded and things like that. We mm-hmm, get a bunch of mm-hmm. notes, but I could see like, you know, if we got the podcast, it's like he went out and dropped 50,000 last week. Go listen to this. Yep. You know what I mean? And here's a 19 year old, like Spencer Cose that did 500, like made 400 grand last year. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Go, go listen to that. And you know what I mean? And it's like, it's different opposed to, Hey, we have the zoom recording. I don't know yep. what it is with people like psychologically, yep. like here's a zoom recording, but here's a uh, YouTube. You know what I mean? It's like YouTube is where people go to learn nowadays. Yeah. It's like you, it's YouTube university for sure. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I think that would be, that would be incredible. It'd be a cool setup. Cause I imagine y- you would probably, <laughs> it would start off with probably like, like Dave and I could see Steve and yep. then it would probably go like, all right, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I and then I like- could, and it would be, but it would be really cool. If you, and then you guys could have different locations as you guys do different trips. Yep. Like, you know what I mean? Where you could set up, cause you can set up quality podcasts if, as long as you have Mike and a, and a camera and it's mm-hmm. still pretty quality in, in different locations. Like, you know, when, when they, when they do the councils and the executive councils and yep. do you go to the producer council? No, executive council. Okay. So, and is that's, that's just the SGA executive. Yeah. Okay, yep. cool. Yeah, I think I think that would be really cool. Yeah, I, I agree. We've talked about doing it before, and we have a studio now built in Globe, and uh, we bring a lot of people in, you know, for leadership schools. Yeah, guest speakers are coming in. Yep. Uh, the fall SGA meeting, we always have people circling, uh, you know, coming through the home office. I think yeah. it'd be good. Well, you could also get individuals outside of a little bit outside of yeah. like AIL or something like that too, like yep. inspirational, maybe like once or twice a year because you guys have the like there's a capital like i've i've got it we've got a hold of some of these these people and they want a hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars you know what i mean which it's like you know if, if we got like a group of i could see even some some i think some some sga should should just cobble up some money just you know what i mean like it'd be good for recruiting i mean yeah, some absolutely. of some of our you know competitors do you know yep. similar tactics yeah, to that sure. where it's like let's just spend a couple bucks and i could see like ail if we get like jocko and like Cause we get some great people to come and speak to us. Yeah, you know what I mean? Sure. I'm excited for, uh, the, the convention yep. and the things we have planned coming up. Uh, we got the, what the first 90 days, this first quarter yep. individuals are able to qualify. They weren't able to. Yep. So for you that, that are, we're doing some company talk right now. So second you, chance, second chance. Yep. So it's what top 20 veteran producers and top 20 rookie producers. And then yep. there's a raffle for, is it rookie and vet over 30,000? Yep, and then we're also allowing for MGAs to get back into yep. it too. Yep, the leadership, the MGAs, yeah. and that's yep. based off growth. Growth. Yes. Yep. So that's that's going to be really cool. Yeah. So I wanted to – so I got Mike Labossi on, everybody, Adversity Kings. Again, we're still 
we were just rocking out so many episodes. I don't know what episode this is. We're definitely coming up on 30s. Nice. Probably in our 30s now. I think like late 20s. 20s, 30s. So okay. cool. Yeah, so we're dropping. We're up to two a week now. Awesome. Just to keep up with the pace because we have so many recorded. We, we wouldn't be releasing them until next year. Okay. Um, so we got Mike Labossi, so a veteran with, with American Inf- In- Income Life, the company that, that I work with, and uh, got him on to share a story and really just to get, get to know him a little more. And pretty, again, guys, just laid back, nonchalant. So where were you born? Uh, Parma, Ohio. It's right outside of Cleveland. Okay. So, yeah, suburb, cool. Cleveland, Ohio. Cool. So born in Parma, Ohio, how did your parents meet? Do you have siblings? Yep. So parents met. Man, that's a great question. Uh, I should probably ask them that, but uh, uh, okay. I don't know exactly where they met. I remember where their first date was. Yeah, uh, I actually just went there a couple of weeks ago uh, to eat dinner. But uh, you know, parents are both from the Cleveland area. Yeah, uh, so they met. Uh, I have an older brother. Uh, mm-hmm. He's about a year and a half older than me, and his sister. It's about six years younger. So I'm a middle child. Okay. Uh, so grew up. Uh, me and my brother being a year and a half, we were pretty close. Yeah. Uh, played a lot of sports together. Shared a lot of the same friends. Yep. Um, you know, lost a lot of fights. Yeah. So yeah. Being that he had about a year and a half head start. Yeah, absolutely. Me, yeah. So, so what did you, so I remember you mentioned earlier that your dad was in a union, sheet metal yep. worker union, right? Yep. So how long was he in that forever? Yeah. So I grew up in a very union family. So my grandparents on my mom's side was a union laborer, mm-hmm. um, you know, Italian concrete. Yep. Right. And then, uh, on my dad's side, his father was in sheet metal. Okay. So uh, local 33 out of Cleveland. So uh, my father and my uncle got into the sheet metal workers. My dad did it. It was probably his first real job. And he did it for 34 years until he retired. So, you know, I came up in the union household, typically one income household in our family. Um, You know, more old school. Now it's usually mom was stay at home then. Mom was stay at home until we got, uh, you know, high school age i would say my sister maybe and then she uh started working as well yep uh but for the most part we remember is uh uh you know one one income household so yeah yeah blue collar background um but yeah grew up in that union family so when one of the things that attracted me about american income was our connections with unions and the blue collar working class because that's really all i knew yeah you know i wasn't i had other financial services company approach me uh and it's like you're you're approaching white collar people at the time. And I just really wasn't comfortable with that. That wasn't my background. That wasn't who I really wanted to, to serve. So that's one of the things that really attracted me about our company. Yep. So, and then with growing up, what was growing up for you? Like, I know you talked a little bit about it today, but just in general, you know what I mean? Like when you think back to like grade school and going up to middle school and high school, what was that all like for you? I had a good childhood. You know, I had really good parents. Um, you know, again, one income household, Mm-hmm. Uh, middle class. We didn't have everything we wanted, but we had everything we needed. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, I, I probably brought adversity on myself growing yeah. up. Uh, you know, obviously at that point, it's like you play sports and you do school. Yeah. Right. That's pretty much your childhood. Yeah. Um, and uh, I didn't do school that well. So yeah. I just wasn't a good student. Um, didn't have a lot of interest in school. Um, didn't really pay attention. Didn't put a lot of effort towards it. Um, so that was really, uh, the, the part of my childhood that I would say was the adversity piece, Yeah. um, was I was grounded a lot cause my parents wanted what's best for me, which yep. is to get good grades. Society tells you good grades equals good career, right? Yep. Bad grades equals bad career. Right? Yeah. We know that's not true. Yes, technically true, yeah. when you peel back the layers, but you know, especially back then and 
without all of the information aids that we live in now, you just kind of figured out you, you, you believe what you heard, right? And it was good grades equals good career. So, um, for my childhood, that was probably the most challenging part. I didn't excel at school. I didn't like school. Um, and when you, when society tells you that, Hey, if you don't get good grades, you will not be successful. What happens is you begin to believe that and almost, uh, reinforce that, you know, in your daily life and almost accept it. Yeah. So, you know, that, that's something that I dealt with growing up. Yep. Um, and, uh, throughout high school, uh, even throughout college, went to college because it's what my really parents wanted for me. And, yeah. you know, my dad busted his butt, parents busted their butts so to provide a better life for us. Yeah. Um, but then coming out of school, I really didn't know what I was going to do, what was going to be my path. Could I be successful? I was just hoping to find maybe, you know, forty to $50,000 a year position and, and just, you know, find a, a company that I was loyal with and maybe grow 3% income every single year. So that was my plan back then before I met American income. So what sports did you play growing up? So I played football, uh, basketball, baseball, um, and, uh, winter sports. I did a lot of skiing. Yep. Enjoyed a lot. Um, and then as I got older in life, I did a lot of running. Yep. So was there a sport that you kind of leaned towards or was it kind of like cross country as you got older never did any cross country for the school we used to call them run for fun yeah we used to, i just ran just because that was yeah. how i trained for sports uh football was probably my most passionate sport what position did you play corner 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 and wing back yeah. okay so cool and then what high school did you go to holy name holy name holy name high so school. so is this like was this like a private academy like yeah, a catholic, catholic school catholic school were yeah, there so nuns no nuns. No so nuns growing up. A little bit past the nun stage with the the rulers and stuff. I had some so. nuns. Did you? Yeah. Okay. I had some with nuns. rulers. Yeah, rulers Whoa. the whole night. Yeah, we didn't have that. Yep. Yeah, we I had some nuns. That. I went to a school in uh, for a year, Mount Pleasant, Pennsylvania, okay. like out in the country. Yeah. There was there were some nuns there. Catholic school. Wow. It was wow. a Montessori Catholic school too. Okay. Okay. So it was like interactive Montessori. You have to like teach yourself. Yep. I guess I don't know. Wow. Horrible okay. setup for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> crazy setup. Um, so high school and then going into college. So what college did you end up going to? Kent State University. Yeah, my buddy went graduate. I remember. I remember Kent State. Yeah, my buddy got a finance degree. I want to say okay. master's finance degree okay. from Kent good, State. Good. Yeah, it's a good school. I mean, let's be honest. It was one of the few who would accepted uh, what what my GPA was at the time, yeah. which is limited. I feel like Kent State's um, a really good school. You know, they have some good programs, right? Yeah. But back then, I don't know if it's different now. It was pretty much open enrollment. When did you go to college? Late. So 2000, mid 2000, or 2007. Okay. To college. So I was going to say like later, yeah. like the decade of yeah. 2000. Yeah. Okay, cool. Now what, I guess when was the, I don't, I don't know, you know, the subject, I don't even know if I should bring it up, but like the, what ha that, that Kent state, was there like memorials from the tragedy that happened yeah. there? Didn't oh, Saban yeah. go there? Nick Saban went there. Yeah. yeah. He's one of the uh, famed alumni. I wonder sure. if, if he was, if he went to school so around 19, that time. Man, was that 70s? 71, I think. 1970, I think it was. And that was in correspondence with like the rebellion yep. from Vietnam, Vietnam War. War. Yep. Yeah. Four students were shot and killed. Most of them were not even protesting. It was just uh, like bystanders. Innocent bystanders. Yeah. yeah. So it's a big part of their history. You go there, you learn about it. And, yeah. And, and uh, it was like one of the first like major public, like, was that like one yeah, of the first major? Big, yeah, major event. Yeah, maybe not one of the first, but uh, crazy. A lot of history there. It shows what happens when you uh, have people who are not well trained at yes. something, expect them to do well. So you got 
yeah. bunch of young National Guard kids. People start throwing bottles at them and they start shooting. Yeah. So I don't know. It was, I don't know. It was young National Guard yeah, kids. Yeah. That's nuts. National Guard, young, you know, high school yeah. age, right? Um, and uh, pressure chamber. Yeah. And they folded and started. I never know why we don't just use. I mean, it probably sounds so stupid. Why don't we just use like rubber bullets? It's got to be really dumb though, because you know maybe the bad guys say you know. Yeah, <laughs> real ones, right? Yeah. I don't think they had that technology back then. Yeah, either, so. no, that's true. That's true. So, college. What did you end up going to school for? Marketing. So business marketing. Marketing. Yep. And uh, and then I ended up with a minor in psychology. Okay. So one of the things that I were you interested in both of those things, or was it just yeah, like this you makes know, sense? Business. I just figured. Yeah. Uh, I should probably go into business. Um, it was actually really funny. It was between two things for me going into college. It was herpetology, which is the study of reptiles. Okay. I was big into reptiles. Did Steve, you have any? Steve Irwin. I yeah, love Steve I, Irwin. I had, a, I had a ball python. Yeah. So, I mean, it was it was one of those things where I started to figure out that, hey, if I'm interested in something, yeah, it my my mind is like a magnet. One of my I'm guys not. is a venomous snake. Okay. Really? Yeah. What kind? It's this blue one. Blue. It's, okay. it's bright blue, too. Okay. Pit Viper, probably. Okay. Something like that. He's got four snakes. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Like, he's obsessed is, with... You're going to have to show me. Let yeah. Let me him. I, back in the day... He's got I reticulated mean, pythons, I'm yeah. pretty sure. Whoa. So they're they're already, like, those I think huge. they're, like, six or eight feet already, and yeah. they're babies. Yeah, those will get 15, 18 yeah. feet. So, yeah, I was looking at herpetology. I love snakes. Um, you know, I, the, I would know the scientific names of most snakes back then. And, yeah. And then it really came down to it is, is looking at, is this the career path that I really think that, that yeah. I want? I figure out if I go into business, you know, I do have an opportunity to, to make more money. Even yeah. though I really didn't believe in myself enough at that time that I could, yep. I figured, hey, this is probably a better career path. So, and I also didn't like biology. Yeah. Couldn't, couldn't, yeah. couldn't do it. So I transitioned. So I did marketing. And then I took a psychology class my freshman year. I'm like, I was really fascinated um, with psychology, how the human mind works, yeah. what motivates people, how, you know, what makes people react and do the things that they do. So that I really, really uh, fell in love with that subject. So I ended up with a minor in psychology. Outside of, you know, sports and, and just growing up, were there anything as you were young that you kind of developed a passion or a hobby for that you really loved, like doing for fun as you think back? Um, man, Always playing some type of sports. Um, winter skiing, absolutely loved it. So do you still, still do. do that? Oh, yeah. Yep. Time. Yeah. Where's your favorite place to go? Uh, Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Okay. So uh, when when you say that, people give you the look like you're giving me right now. Like yeah. Jackson Hole, Wyoming's got mountains. Yeah. yeah, it does. It's got the Teton Mountain Range. It's it's not a huge mountain there range. Any ba- there's got to be some bears out there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, brown and black bears for yeah. sure. But they're hibernating during the winter. you got to watch out for moose, though. Yeah. Because the moose will chase you down and no they seriously oh yeah they're angry they don't have big brains and they don't see well so they get spooked really easily yeah so yeah if you come across a moose on mountain they'll charge you and uh, you gotta you gotta ski ski (laughs) my ego makes me feel like i could take a moose Uh, but they're like the size of a horse big you think they're they're no no they're bigger than horses they're breathtakingly big when you see them in person christ but jackson hole it's a great town it's gotten a lot more popular yeah um but really mountain do you convince any of the other SGAs or like home office to go ski into? Is anybody else into um, it? Yeah, so I think you're talking to Renee Jeffries soon. She likes skiing too? I wouldn't use the word like. You're going to have to ask her about how yeah. I got her introduced into skiing. But, okay. Uh, so yeah, she tried it out. A couple other home office people tried it out. Uh, Mike Sheets, who's an executive vice president of Liberty National, sister company. Yeah. Uh, he's a big skier, so we would go and invite some people on the company trip every yeah. single year. 
Um, but uh, yeah, so um, invited. I don't think any other SGAs have gone. I, don't know if any, to, I can't think of any other SGAs. I tried to set something up with Fred Adaya, yeah, you know, VP of the company. So, uh, but he's thinking about it. Yeah. So I ski on a little bit different level than most people. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. So. So I, I like to also get out of people. Growing up, can you think of? I know I know you kind of shared a little bit of a story of of some adversity you overcame, but like, so like like a, a memory of like, just like maybe some trouble you had gotten into, like like really big trouble, maybe even outside of you know what I mean, more of like a fun trouble. Like you look back and you like laugh about it. You're like, okay. man, yeah. I wish I I wish I would have pulled my like as as just growing up. Like think of those, those stories. It's like it's funny, but at the same time, it's like ah man, I got into some trouble. Yeah. Here. So me and my brother, we were pretty close, right? And yeah. We were. You know, coming up at the same time, teenagers were both getting in trouble, right? So, yeah. You know, two two stories that come to mind are: I told you I wasn't a good student back then. When you did, when you got a bad paper, you'd have to bring it home. Your parents had to sign it. Yeah. And then you'd have to turn it back into the teacher, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I had gotten really good at forging my mom's signature. Yeah. So they wouldn't get all these bad papers, and then at the end of the semester or whatever, they would get this bad report card. <laughs> yeah. Spin that up. So, um, I had forged my mother's signature on a paper. I rushed it and the teacher, um, caught it. Yeah. It was a forged signature. Well, the same day, you know, the teacher, we were seventh and eighth grade and they taught English for both grades. So the same day, my brother, uh, got the answers to the test he was taking yeah. and put it on the, you, you had to wear ties at school. Um, no, we don't have to wear ties. You didn't. Well, if no. you know the square part of your tie yeah. is a great place to put a cheat sheet. Yeah. You ever do that or no? All right, you gotta. All right. Yeah, well, no. Yeah. So you put the cheat sheet in there, then you flip your tie over. Yeah. Okay, and you see all the answers, and if the teacher comes, you just flip it back over. So that's a good spot. The yeah. wrist was a good spot too. Yep. So, you know, when I wanted to do good, I would just cheat on the test. So, yes. So my brother did that. So he got caught with the cheat sheet. So the phone rings. My father never answers the phone. Lo and behold, this time he answers the phone. Yeah. And it's a teacher and she said Mr. Labasi I'm calling about your sons and he said which one and she said both and which one would you like to start with so on the same day we got caught for forging a paper and cheating that was not a fun night in our wow. household yeah so that's hilarious and then another time same night uh, I get caught out curfew you know doing what kids do at like yeah. two in the morning please pick me up uh, they go to book me. They call my mom. My mom picks me up. She is livid. Yeah. She goes, well, I got one kid. Now I got to go pick up the other kid who got arrested in this city. Yeah. So on the same night, me and my brother got picked up by the police. Instances. So <laughs> That's hilarious. Those are a couple, couple moments growing up in our household. So from the moments to college to uh, then coming across, you know, obviously our, our company, what year was that? Was that 2000? Seven, 2006. Also? 2006. So um, junior year going into the summer, at that point I had no real business background. So everyone's talking about internships, internships, internships. I'm like, I'm going to go check out the uh, Kent State University Career Fair and see um, what I can, what's available. I mean, again, I really had no clue. So I walk into this career fair. Um, and I'm walking around, and my na you know, you had to wear your last name on a name tag. So yeah. Labasi is not a typical last name. So this gentleman, I hear my name, Labasi, and I immediately turn my head. Um, that gentleman's Dave Guzman, who's mm -hmm. still with our company today. He's a sales director. Yeah. 
and um, Dave Guzman used to date um, the owner of the sheet metal company that my dad worked at. Oh, wow. His daughter. Yeah. So when he was going through college, he was a shop boy. So he would run the sheet metal. He would, uh, you know, get rid of the demo loads, things like that. Yeah. That was actually my job at the time going through college. Yeah. Same position he had held. And he had known my father and uncle through that. And so I said, yeah, how do you know Labasi? He goes, do you know John? I go, yeah, that's my, that's my dad. He goes, no way. I know your dad. And, and we connected. Um, so I'm like, tell me about, never heard of the company. So then he starts talking about American income, uh, union company, working with the middle class. Um, and you know, that was, I was, went home from that career fair. Like, man, I think I might've found something. Let's check this out. Uh, so I went into the North Royalton office, uh, for the career overview. I remember driving past a, a Range Rover, brand new Range Rover at the time. And, uh, a guy by the name of Matt Hart, who's one of the top SGs yeah. in our company, ran my group overview. And I remember him talking about, Hey, that, you know, Range Rover belongs to 25 year old Marcus Smith. And I'm like, wow, 25 year old driving a Range Rover. That's what I want to be. Yeah. So that was really sale number two on the company. And then when I was leaving that overview, I bumped into Mike Vasu. Mike Vasu, Chris Vasu, my brother and I worked at an Italian pizza, uh, pizza restaurant yeah. uh, in the town we grew up before anyone ever knew of American Income. Uh, and so he and I stayed connected. I remember hearing that he was going to, I always, he was always really smart. So I remember hearing he was going to law school. Uh, so I bump into him. I'm like, what are you doing here? He's like, what are you doing here? I'm like, I'm interviewing for a position. What are you doing? I thought you were at law school. He's like, I was, but I turned it down full time. You know, I turned it down because I'm going to do this full time. I'm in management now. And in fact, we just got our bonuses for the month leadership bonus. Here's my leadership bonus. Yeah. You know, so he showed it to me. And I remember it was $1,100 and change. Yeah. Right. Uh, and to me, that's like, I mean, I remember once a year, my dad would get a bonus check for Christmas, about 300 bucks once a year. And he showed yeah. me a monthly bonus. He's 23 years old. Yeah. For $1,100. Right. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I'm in. You know, and I remember calling Dave Guzman when I left, and I said, "Hey, I really want the position. How'd I do? How'd I do? How'd I do?" He's like, "I think you're good. I think you got it." Yeah. Uh, so that's how I got introduced to American Income, you know. And I came in for my final interview, and uh, Scott Rayberg, who's a retired SGA, yeah, uh, at the time, said, "Hey, listen, you can either like intern and like help me out with stuff around the office, or you could, you know, dive in, get your license, and do everything a sales agent would do." I'm like, "Yeah, I want to get a license, do everything a sales agent would do." And I'm glad I went down that path because once I did that, I excelled, you know, the sales side went well. They promoted me in the leadership. Um, they actually approached me and said, Hey, if you forego your senior year, we'll give you a GA contract because yeah. I was personally recruiting a lot of people at yeah. the time. Um, because I'm like, this is an opportunity to make a hundred thousand dollars a year right out of high school. Um, so a lot of my friends that didn't go to college and were looking for that career, I was bringing in immediately. So they offered me a GA contract and I'm like, listen, you know, I haven't made my parents happy my entire life with my schooling. I got an opportunity to, to get this degree and I'm going to do it for them. So I finished school uh, and then came out full time uh, in the company when I graduated in 2007. Wow. Nuts. So you graduate and then you start with the company full time. Yep. What did that full time route look like? You know, just kind of take us, you know, I'm just curious, you know, from from now 
until back then. You know what I mean? What mm-hmm. What's everything look like from starting and funny stories? Yeah, and I mean, it was how it all worked out. You know, if you look back then, it was a we had a if you look at the company now and a lot of the top people, they yeah. were present back then. So you had Mike Vasu, you had Simon. Yep. Um, you had Pat Bender, uh, Jameson Weatherspoon, um, Dan Hartwig. Um, I know I'm forgetting people. Well, uh, Renee Jeffries, yep. uh, Dave Guzman. I mean, I can go on and on. Travis Moody. Um, and you had a lot of people back then starting with the company all kind of in the, the come up at the same exact time. Um, and it was a lot of fun. We're yeah. going through a lot of growth. You know, growth is fun. Oh, absolutely. It's just fun to yeah. grow. You know, everyone's excited. People are getting promoted. Everyone's income's going up. Yep. Um, and we worked. We worked hard, right? So we worked seven days a week. We'd work Sundays. Uh, we'd spend about four to five hours on Sunday booking uh, for Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. We'd come in Monday and finish up our schedule booking. Yep. We'd run the field Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then we'd come in Fridays for our meetings and then book Friday for a power day on Saturday. So Saturday's yeah. what starts our week. We'd try to get the lunch club, which is $1,200. You get, you get lunch. Yeah. Uh, and it was a grind. And then when you got in the leadership, it was, it was eight to noon recruiting activities, lunch field from basically one till, you know, last appointment at 9 PM. Yeah. So, so how quickly did you move up then when you came back full time? Quickly. Yeah. What I did when I graduated is I strategically at this point, understood the business and understood how powerful personal recruiting is, right? So yeah. when I came out of the business, I had um, several personal recruits ready to go, right, from Kent State University. So yeah. um, I.P. Harris, familiar yep. with him, partner yeah. SGA. Yeah. Uh, Dan Walton, uh, longtime MGA, RGA yep. with uh, uh, Stray Smith, uh, Bender Hartwig, uh, and several more uh, personally recruited right out of school. Yep. Um, so I hit the ground running. I was an SA right upon graduation, took about two months to get to GA and a month after I was number one GA in the company. Wow. Cause it was all PRs. Yep. And then from where, from, from being the number one GA, wh- wh- where did that lead to next? So it was great. You know, I had October, I was number one GA, November I had a really good month. December I had a really good month. I cracked top 10 GA for the year and six months. Yeah. And, uh, I went on my first like weekend, any time off. I mean, I was seven days straight from the yeah. day I graduated to this day in January. I took a couple days off to visit my brother in Colorado and do a little bit of skiing. So I remember I'm, I'm on the lift and Marcus calls me, right? When yeah. Marcus, Marcus calls, you answer, right? So I answered and he starts, he's screaming into the phone. He says, get excited, baby. You're moving to Toledo, Ohio. I said, okay, you know, why? What's going on? He said, hey, we're making a promotion. Travis Moody's going to be an SGA and we want you to take over the office. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, great. He goes, but most people are going with Travis. And you get to bring one person with you. So I'm like, I go, all right, great. When do I leave? He goes, when do you get back? I go, I get back Sunday night. He goes, great. I need you until you on Monday morning. So literally most of the office, and they really blessed Travis. They allowed most of the office to go with him. Yeah. The last couple people, you know, didn't really like the change. So they really kind of fell off. So I got to bring yeah, that's uh, how one person, IP Harris, yeah, uh, uh, to that agency and, uh, and, and basically start all over again. So my yep. reward for becoming top GA in the company was, hey, congratulations, go out in Toledo, Ohio and do it all over again. I feel like that's how success is. Dude. Yeah. I feel like every every year that I've had a promotion, it's like, start over. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> but what you got to understand, you're not starting over. Yes. Right, because you, you now understand what it takes. And I'll never forget, um, I stopped in the office early that Monday before I drove to Toledo and I sat down with Marcus. I had my notepad ready to go. 
And I said, hey, can you walk me through everything that an MGA needs to, to do to be successful? And he looked back. He said, just keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. I said, okay. Went to Toledo, Ohio. Personally recruited a bunch of people. We went from basically, you know, broken down office at that time to top 10 MGA yeah. uh, in the company from scratch that wow. year, over a million dollars in ALP. Um, and uh, it was all based around really personal recruiting. Yeah. Um, you know, we were lucky to get into a college, Toledo. They have a sales school there. Yeah. Um, and get into a couple, couple graduates. We made sure they did really well, and then that opened up uh, a lot of doors for us to, to work with a lot of the Toledo Wow. school grads and then from from mga so how long were you in mga until you were sga so i was an mga for a year and then i became an rga and it was an rga for like nine or ten months yeah and uh you know it was really one of those things i was young at the time and who'd you promote to mga uh danielle jankowski she's okay. a regional sales director yeah. at the company yep uh very strong and uh so m my goal was i mean i wanted to be like jim and marcus right yep. and i'm thinking you know doing this out here in Toledo, Ohio. What if I could just, you know, grab another location and just do it, do it for myself as an SGA. So at the age of 23, I uh, answered the call to become an SGA. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it was quick, quick. And then, so where did you start then? Indianapolis, Indiana. And who was the CEO at the time? CEO was Roger Smith. Roger Smith. And then uh, who was the president and vice president? Scott Smith. President, vice president was Rob Falvo. I met. I just met Roger. Is Rob Falbo? Is he still? No, no. He transitioned out once, um, right around the same time. He actually a little before Roger retired. Okay, okay. And so, SGA, and then into home office. How was your first? How long were you in SGA then? For a little bit over four years. So how 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 were the four years of being an SGA? You know, it was it was really good. I learned a ton. There's a couple things that I learned being a new SGA yeah. that I took for granted with a bigger agency. And I didn't see this coming, but when you're in a bigger agency, what you have going for you is culture. Oh, yeah. Right? And, you know, culture can help create a lot of momentum. Yep. Right? And you can plug, you know, we talked today about ordinary people, extraordinary results. Yeah. You can plug ordinary people into an extraordinary culture and get better results out of them. Right? Oh, absolutely. And I took that for granted and really went kind of solo as an SGA and noticed real quick that, hey, my same training, phone training, yeah, uh, my same sales training, same playbook, I just renamed it Labasi Agency, yeah. is yielding about half the results as typical as it would with, with them. Yeah. So... Um, I think one of the biggest mistakes that I made at that time was trying to do everything on my own and not having that kind of that bridge or that mentorship. So people should try to stick a, together. A bigger SGA, yeah, yeah, for sure. Because I, you know, I'll get people in the office that are like, "I want to go run an office," <laughs> down, like not not even the SGA ship, just like go start a satellite. Yeah, and I'm yeah. like, and this past year, I just let people go. Yeah. And they, <laughs> I get a call a month later. How's it going? Doing all right. How you doing down there? Glad you asked. <laughs> Wondering if it was okay if I could come back. Yeah. yeah. You know. Everything all right? Well, it's not everything I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Yeah. 
Everyone it wants never responsibility, is. right? Until yeah. they realize what it what it entails. And uh you know, today in a Zoom world, I mean it's, you, it's we're a, so connected, it's so much yeah. different, right? But back then you were on an island. Oh, you're on an island you're for on sure. An island for sure. Paper, you and, guys had to yeah. navigate with the GPS and hold your fingers in the yeah, wind. For sure. But at least when I was in Trace every single week that leaderboard came out and like our yep. guys were in five, six thousand trying to keep yep. up and catch up with everyone else. And that stuff is just so valuable. You know, yeah. so you know, what I would recommend is maybe incubate. I should have incubated a little bit longer under their tutelage. Yeah. And then also trying to stay connected. Any type of mentorship opportunity yes. um, with a larger SGA connect. You got to be able to merge your culture to someone else's. Yeah. Because as a new SGA, you just don't have it. Like latch on almost yeah. kind of like a parasite. Yep. Latch on, suck it up, yep. get bigger, bigger, bigger. You and draft off them. Yep. Yep. Until you can create your own culture. Um, you know, nowadays, another thing is personal recruiting. We talked about it back then, but it wasn't like, there wasn't a spotlight on as much. It was yeah. kind of like a recruit to recruit. And yeah. I look back now and those are the things that got me so quickly off the ground in Cleveland yeah. and Toledo. And, and we did person recruit in, in, in Indy and always had, you know. Who was the Indy, like the OG Indy SGA? A guy by the name of Mark Hancock. So he, yeah. he, who did he come out of? Uh, his father's agency. Yeah. So Mark was there for several years. Okay. Um, he retired like 60,000 a month in renewals. Yeah. Um, so, uh, fortunately he had a really rare type of cancer, um, you know, without his renewals, he wouldn't have had a chance, but survived several years cause he would, was able to, you know, had the resources to go yeah. down to Houston and then get the experiment, you do know, treatments and things yeah. like that but really good guy very welcoming when i came into the territory yep um you know gave me some really good advice I always have a good assistant and a good accountant in the yeah. business so that was huge advice yeah. for me but yeah we always had very strong growth in the territory um there was always something kind of missing for me at that time it was like that extra mentorship i just yeah uh sought it out and that's when i was approached with the position at home office i said you know what man it's an opportunity for me to Travel the country for a year, yeah, and really rub shoulders with all the SGAs, yeah, kind of like what Duran Oldham did years ago. I don't know if you know his story at all. Bits and pieces. He was a top MGA, and uh, the company approached him and said, "Hey, we want you to be a sales director." They never had sales directors, and Duran yeah. goes, "You know what? You're going to pay me." They go, "Yep, we'll pay you for a year." He said, "Great, I'll do it." So he went around for a year and and basically taught people how to grow their agency, but at the same time. He was putting together his playbook to be an SGA. Yeah. And best practices, things what to do, what not to do. You know, you're able to see on a large scale what works, what doesn't work. You know, what are the mistakes agency owners are making? What what, what are they not making? And that was something that was really attractive to me um, and why I ultimately made the decision to accept that role with the company. It was supposed to be short term for me. One year, pick up as much as I can and bring that knowledge back into the SGA ship. Yeah. So from... from Starting as, so what did you, you started as a sales director. Yep. And then when did you move up to senior vice president of field operations? So started as a laptop sales director. Uh, and what, what ended up happening is I really fell in love with the role. Mm -hmm. Did really good at that shortly after they had me run that team. So I was uh, basically in charge of all the laptop sales um, and fell in love with the role. And, and just, I love being able to make an impact. A lot of the SJs are my friends. Yep. Um, I've come up with the business with a lot of them, be able to go into an SJ's office and tweak a couple things, right? And take their sales up 20% to me was really fulfilling. Absolutely love what I yeah. do, the relationships, the influence I could have. Um, and then I was approached by a gentleman by the name of Bojan Teal. Yep. You know Bo? Mm-hmm. Okay. 
so Bo at the time was uh, vice president of recruiting uh, for American Income. And he said, hey, I need someone to do director of recruiting for American Income and then help out our company, Liberty National. Yeah. So at the time, Roger Smith was doing such a good job with our company that uh, Globe you know, grabbed them and said, hey, can you help you know, fix, rebuild Liberty National? Yeah. Because um, if you're familiar, Liberty National is who created Globe. No. So Liberty National was founded in 1900. Yeah. A lot of people don't know this. They were founded in 1900 in Alabama. And um, by the 1970s, this is crazy, three out of four households in Alabama had a policy with Liberty National. Wow. When you think about Aflac's market penetration in their home state, I think it's like 13%. Yeah. <laughs> and and Liberty had a policy in 75% of the households. That's insane. In, in yeah. Alabama, they were cash rich. Yep. And uh, at the time, a lot of Chinese companies were coming around buying up insurance companies. They didn't yeah. want to be bought. So they said, well, why don't we create our, old holding, our old own holdings company and uh, we'll buy companies, right? Yeah. So that's where they created at the time Torchmark. Obviously, now we know it as yeah. Globe through the rebranding process. So actually, they created Torchmark, Liberty National. Wow. Um, they ran into some issues. They had some cancer policies that um, once cancer became a lot more prevalent in the 80s and 90s, yeah. uh, the, the underwriting margins on it became way too thin. We had to make some adjustments there. They hit some obstacles in, in the course of a 15-year time, yeah. 20-year time. So um, that's where they wanted to bring in Roger to help him rebuild that company back to its prior greatness. So, wow. So Bo approached me. And said, hey, will you help out with both these companies, director of recruiting? I see what you're doing on the sales side. I really want you to do this, right? Yeah. So, I mean, we know our business is like a Swiss Army knife, right? Yeah. It's recruit to grow, train to retain, and develop leaders, right? So yeah. Said, okay. I trained to retain, done it company-wide, got the influence there. Now it's time to, to, to really sharpen my sword on recruiting to grow. Yeah. So I can really be more well-polished well as a leadership role in, in the company. Yeah. So I dove down that path with, with Bo for those two companies for a couple of years. And, and if you know Bo, uh, working for him, he's, he, he's the closest thing you're going to get to Simon on the home office side. Yeah. He's going to push you, and he's going to expect the absolute best out of you um, and uh, absolute best effort, but it brings the best out of you. Yeah. Um, so he taught me a lot of things, and uh, at that point, um, this project started coming up. It was called Impact. Yep. And it was something that we were buying from the Altec organization and, uh, you know, they need someone to roll it out. Right. So, yeah. you know, my people ask me like, what tips do you have? How do I move up in a company? Right. Yep. And my simple advice is this, take what your leader gives you and make it better. Yep. Right. So if you can create this brand about yourself of every time someone asks you to do something, you take what they give you and make it better. Yep. Right. So if I'm an agent and my job is to give, what, 10 presentations a week, three enrollments, collect 30 referrals, right? Yep. Let's, I want to give 15 presentations a week, five enrollments, collect 50 referrals. Yep. So take what they give you and make it better. And I was able to do that at every level of position. So when it came time to pick someone to organize and roll out this entire massive, you know, 9,000 agents switching over <laughs> from paper. Yeah. To, uh, uh, it was know, insane. It was, it was, it was crazy. Uh, so, so he called me and said, hey, man, you know, we need someone that we know can get the job done, that we trust, that can 
roll this project out, would you accept it? You yeah. Know, would you do it? And I said, absolutely. I mean, I didn't know anything about a CRM at the time. So then all of a sudden I'm buying books on CRM implementations. I'm trying to eat those up, trying to figure out what it is. Yeah. Um, and, and that was my path there. And I will tell you, um, you know, everything we do now is preparing us for that next level, right? Yeah. So whatever you're, whatever adversity you're going through now in life is always going to make you better moving forward as long as you don't give up. Yeah. Right? And that rollout was so challenging. We had the, uh, it was shutting down. I don't know if you remember this. You probably do, right? You yeah. remember impact shutting down yep. the new day. Yep. So, I mean, imagine getting a call from Marcus Smith, Simon Arias, uh, uh, Eric Giglione, right, and saying, yeah. hey, none of my agents can access their leads. What are we doing here? So it was a high-pressure rollout. We had to go into an agency. We had to steal everyone's leads, yep. right, right? And we had to produce that week. Yeah. So imagine trying to do that. So we had to develop that system where we'd go in, we'd train, send them in the field last night on paper, take their leads the next day, implement impact that one day, get them in the phones, get them in the field. And literally we were really proud about 85% of our rollouts wrote more in the week. We were there rolling out the technology, brand new technology wow. than what they they were averaging as an agency in their trends. Wow. So, and so, you know, that was even with the challenges. So, yeah. you know, now I look back and, in any type of urgent situation or, or anything that comes up will yeah. not be, will never get me more flustered or, or, or nervous than 9,000 agents not having access to their sales leads. Oh, absolutely. So there's just nothing that, yeah, that can get my nerves uncalm at this point. Yeah. Um, so that was something at the time we never enjoy adversity when we're going through it. Yeah. But you look back on it and you always, always appreciate it because it, definitely prepares you for what's next so absolutely success in a laptop team success in the recruiting success in the impact rollout um so that's how when a position became available for the senior vice president you know i was lucky enough to uh you know steve greer dave zoff and bojan teal don bertini agreed uh that i'd be the best fit for that role so now is there is and then obviously the president of field operations that's often yes okay that yep. makes sense um so from impact rollout to where you're at now What's what's been some things that that have occurred that you've accomplished or that have been exciting from from then until now? You know, the impact was obviously really siloed, right? It, yep. was, it was one agency. We need to roll this out. We need to get this done um, here. It's more of a bigger picture. Right. Mm -hmm. So uh, senior vice president of field operations. My job is to grow the company through yep. growing our agent count. Right. So, so that's been about, what, three years now you've been the SVP? Yeah. OK. Yep. yep. Um, and you know, so what, what I try to do is simplify. Yep. Right. A lot of time I think it's the biggest challenge for leaders. Yep. They overcome. I like the, the saying you said this morning, the yes. systems. Yep. Yep. So the ordinary, what's it? Systems extraordinary. permit ordinary people to, yep. to achieve extraordinary results predictably. Right. Yes. Yeah. And, and the other one is simplicity is a leader's superpower. Yes. So being able to simplify is like one of the biggest things that takes, that makes, you know, leaders, top CEOs, that next level. Yeah. Um, so what I tried to do is simplify, right? Yep. So I look at, you know, from from the company standpoint, how many weekly set interviews do we need? Yeah. How many weekly hires do we need to get the monthly new associates we need? Yes. And I look at the same time last year and just make sure that we're up 10% or more. Yep. If we're up 10% or more in sets, if we're up 10% or more on hires, then I know codes are going to come out at least 10% more. Yep. Um, so that's what I really tried to bring to this role and what was learned um, in every single month. We'd have 10% growth, agent count growth, 
ALP growth followed um, up until the pandemic, right? Yeah. <laughs> so up until the pandemic hit, uh, that's probably been my biggest learning lesson. You know, um, I saw you got a couple Jim Collins books. Mm -hmm. uh, Good to great. You read great by choice. Yep. Great by choice. So yep. he talks about the 20 mile march. Yes. Right. So if you had to wake up tomorrow and you're in San Diego and you got to go to Maine, um, you know, how the what top leaders of companies that have 10 times returns over, you know, 10 to 20 year period, what they do. And they believe in what's called the 20 mile march, which is uh, I'm going to wake up tomorrow and I'm going to march about 20 miles. Yep. No matter what the weather conditions are. And then the next day I'm going to wake up and I'm going to march about 20 miles. And the next day, let's say it's really bad weather day. It's raining a lot. I'm still going to get up and do what? 20 miles. 20 miles. Yep. And the next day is really cold and snowy. I'm going to march 20 miles. Yeah, not dictated by circumstance or emotion. What unsuccessful leaders do is long-term is they wake up and it's a really sunny day. So they feel good and they go for 40 miles. Then they wake up the next day. They're a little bit tired. They do 10 miles. Then the next day they wake up and it's weather's bad. It's raining. So they stay in their tent the whole day. Then the day after that, it's snowing, so they stay in their tent the whole day. And what they do is they, they fluctuate. And when, when times are good, they go really hard and yep. burn themselves out. And when times are good, they bunker down and don't get the growth. Well, the person doing the 20-mile march is going to beat every time Yeah. the person trying to go good uh, on the good days, right? So that's what the pandemic taught me. Yeah. Man, when, the, when, when unemployment is 12%, right, and so high, we're just rocking and rolling as a company, right? But, yeah. you know, did we stick to that 20-mile march um, of consistency uh, as a company? And how do we do that moving forward? Because yeah. we had some record years. Um, we're still able to do those things. But you just see, you know, sometimes the numbers fluctuating up and down. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so that's probably the biggest lesson I learned is how do we temper in, in, when times are good? And, and how do we uh, 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 still excel when maybe times aren't so good? So Absolutely. What are some of your favorite memories just over your life? Favorite memories. You know, a lot of them have to do with my times at this company and the things that, have, uh, that American Income has provided. You know, yeah. growing up, we do a family vacation every year to Myrtle Beach. Those yeah. are always great times. You know, yeah, I love yeah. my parents. We had everything we wanted, maybe not everything we needed, maybe not everything we wanted. But because of um, what this company has been able to do for me and my family, it's lifestyle at this point yeah you know, we get able to travel a lot uh, a lot of time uh, go to italy try to go to italy every single year what part of italy uh anywhere that'll have me yeah, yeah. so uh, i like all of it uh typically uh, i try to stop by a wine wine country if i could yeah um tuscany piedmont valpolicella all those but rome yeah venice um florence um yeah there's so many great spots over there but that's one of my you know passions is is italy Yep. Um, just going over there and then, you know, being able to uh, do some skiing with, with some friends, some friends trip. So the memories um, of traveling Italy and the yep, wine, yep, yep, skiing, yep. anything else, like anything really stick out to you and be like, you think about that moment, maybe a, maybe a few times, maybe even once a week. Yeah, you know, I would you say, like, you know, you got some cigars here. I'd say the time that I smoked my first cigar. With who? Yeah, it was New Orleans SGA meeting. Yeah. And uh, I was brand new SGA at the time, and Simon Arias, Fred Adaya, Steve Greer, Paul Rumbuck were all smoking a cigar, and Steve Freelander. I said, well, if these guys are smoking cigars, I want to pick their brain. I'm going to smoke a cigar. And I remember yeah. uh, hanging out with them on the rooftop of the, of the Hilton, 
in uh, New Orleans and smoking a cigar and just soaking up. What was that, 2011, 2012? Gosh, I can't even remember now. 2010, I think it was, 2010 yep. or 2011. So what time it was, maybe two years, three years yeah. in as an SGA? Yep. And, and you I, were just about one year in? Brand new, brand yeah, new? pretty new as an SGA. So I just remember that's that was a fun time for me. A lot of our SGA meetings created a lot of good memories. A lot of our conventions created a lot of good memories. Um, you know, most of my good memories as an adult are either with or as a result of American Income Life. Yeah. You know, so... Uh, pretty much all of them. I like that. So when you get in, when did you start getting into wine? Uh, great question. So, um, you know, growing up, it's kind of funny because people see you in your current version. Yeah. And they make the mistake of assuming that's how you always were. Yeah, no. Right? And I There's try to no tell way people, like, hey, growing up, up, like, yeah. <laughs> if if there was a bottle of wine in my house over $10, my dad would have had a heart attack. Yeah. Like heart attack. We could have never opened it. Yeah. So it was mostly like homemade, <laughs> not good stuff. Right? Yeah. So, and then throughout college, you know, but again, because of the opportunities that this company has allowed for and, you know, seven and a half years in the business, the renewals that I'm blessed to still receive, you know, able to start going on some nicer vacations, right? Yeah. So, um, one of the things that I found, um, really good read, Harvard Business Review, you ever read any of their stuff? Dude, I got to show you this. So, when I started here, I was expelled from high school my okay. sophomore year. And so, my, my education, um, it wasn't... It wasn't limited due to my inability to learn. It was limited due to my apathy. Yeah, I, I could yeah. really care less. But I was looking through all the books that I've I've read, and uh, it's so funny that you say that. Let me see here. Let's see, was just, I was basically adding it up, and uh, there there was like I'm like 250 or 300 books in, and I'm coming up you. on good for you coming up on five years. So over four years, you figure that's that's a good a, good amount book of books. Week. Good for you. Now this is a new phone, so it doesn't okay. um, it doesn't have it registered okay. as completed. But I have I have like five nice. or six of these Harvard Business yeah. Reviews, and this was when I first started, eighteen, nineteen years old. So yeah. like most of these words were like catching me off guard. Like yeah, there's there's some bigger stuff in there. Yeah, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Looks like I, there's seven of these, and they were good. There was yeah. good sources of information, and my mind was, even if I read a hundred books, and like, let's say some individuals out there could get. 30 to 40 percent even if my brain can initially ret retain five to ten percent yep it's going to be five to ten percent cumulatively where they might read 10 books yep i'm going to read 200 books yeah, and it'll eat up more yeah exactly yeah, for sure and then it helps you as a leader because when you swallow as many books as you do people come to you for advice yes right? like what books and then yeah as a leader i can kind of narrow it down and say you know and when i'm here's mentoring what someone here hey i would read this book if i were you oh man and you're able and there's a lot of value in that as a, as a so mentor. much value um, but I was reading this, so Harvard Business Review, what they do is they put these books together. So uh, HBR and Mental Toughness or HBR and Leadership. Yep. And they'll, they'll combine in a book as chapters or top articles. Yep. I love those really good reads. I got one on HBR and Mental Toughness. It's yep. really good. And one of the things that stuck out to me in this book was top, top, top leaders I if I have, have hobbies. Have hobbies. Yep. And typically, as you probably would agree, most top people, um, successful people, don't watch a lot of television. Yep. It's a waste, right? I do not watch a lot of television. But what they do do if they want to sustain long term is they have hobbies. And yep. it's a way to really kind of disconnect from the business, disconnect from the problems yep. of the business. And statistically, it, it helps recharge you. 
and it allows you to not have any type of burnout or yeah. or, or even you know maybe not if you could push through but maybe your creativity's gone maybe you haven't even noticed your attitude slipping yep. the way you're treating your people is now slipped because you're just constantly in the grind so you yeah. have to find a way to disconnect 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 yeah um and i think early on in the business i felt almost bad if i had any other hobbies outside of our company it's kind you of know what I mean? yeah I know. and at the end of the day if you're in your first two years you should feel bad you yeah. just need to grind it out yeah so absolutely you just need to become an expert of this but this is seven years in eight yep. years into the yep. company um had my honeymoon in italy yep and uh um I, I like to really start research and so all of a sudden i start looking up uh, looking into wine, start studying stuff, and then you go to the vineyards and you meet these people. They're just farmers. Yeah. Know? So you're like, wow, these are people like I grew up with, just farmers. you just just down-to-earth people. Uh, so I just fell in love with what they do, the industry, and it's just kind of a multifaceted world. So for me, it's a great way to kind of disconnect uh, from the business, recharge, but at the same time, I'm keeping my brain sharp. I'm yeah. constantly learning Oh my! Well, what are what are the, what's that wine master thing. called? What's it called when you're like a wine connoisseur and like? So there's a sommelier. That right? that's where they can smell it and they can tell you every ingredient. Yeah. So there's sommelier, which I'm working on my certification right now. To no, you're not. You're serious. One. So you can't. I technically couldn't call myself sommelier, even though I'm yeah. really close per the like knowledge level. I would yeah. say, um, because in order to be one, you should work in with wine, right? And I don't. Yes. So, um, but I'm pretty close there. And then the next level of that is what's called a master sommelier. So these individuals, there's like 270 in the history of the world. Wow. In the history of the world. It's it's more difficult to get this certification than it is to become a brain surgeon. Um, and these individuals are incredible. I mean, yeah, they the, the knowledge they know. I mean, they have to sit for an exam and basically you get like seven or eight wines and they have to blind it. They don't And say what type of uh, grape is in it. Yeah. Uh, the region it's from. So can you do any of that? The vintage um, to a point. Yeah. Nowhere near the level of these guys. At the mat. So yeah. Yeah. I can. And what, cause like jujitsu, a black belt's like 10 years, like a master sommelier. What, what's that? 40? There's some of these guys that just eat stuff up. I would say at least 10 years going hard. At yeah. least. Yeah, at least. I would say years. at least. At least. Yeah. Some people, and some people just won't even do it because it's. Same thing as a black belt. You get your ass kicked to yeah. get that black belt, right? Yeah. Uh, and they, yeah, it's a ton of studying. The exam's super high pressure. What's um, the most unique wine you've ever had? Where you're like, wow, this is an unforgettable experience. Yeah. Just happened, actually. Yeah? Yeah, just happened. So I was in Nashville with my wife, and we were went out to dinner at this place. And, you know, you kind of always looking for that next thing, and it's it's i don't want to dork out on you now but anyways I'm the excited. way you make wine is you, yeah you um you take grapes you crush grapes yeah right? if it's a white wine you you don't put it on the skins you just put it in the fermentation so that's tank. the difference between white and, and a red wine yeah. yeah so red wine you leave it on the skins so you can think about it you take a red grape yep and just squeeze it what happens yeah it's red no no it's not it's clear Okay. Next time you eat a red grape, just, it's clear juice. Oh, yeah. But what yeah. happens is if you leave it in contact with the skins, that's the, where it picks the pigment up the color. from the skin. Yeah. So okay. um, they make uh, champagne. You ever have champagne? Yes. Okay. So two out of the three main grapes in champagne are Pinot Noir yeah. and Pinot Meunier. Those are red grapes. Yeah. But they're clear. Yes. Why? Because they lightly press and, and don't let it sit in the skin. So you okay. got red wine, that, white wine, that's what they do with. They put in a tank. Red wine, they put in a tank with the skins. And they introduce yeast. Yeast eats the sugars in the grapes and converts to alcohol. 
Yeah. Once that process is done, they either straight bottle it or they throw it in a barrel for a little while to get some aging on it, and then they put it in a bottle. Well, there's a type of wine out there called Petnat, which is an, a natural method where they take it and they start it in the tanks and then they bottle it and finish it in the bottle. And what that does is fermentation creates heat, uh, CO2, yep. um, and alcohol, right? So it creates that CO2. So it gets this crazy type tasting wine like nothing you've ever had before like uh just like really like brioche like you're biting into a piece of bread it's got like bubbles on it. it's just like if you end the wine you know and you start drinking a decent amount of and tasting you're always looking for that really unique thing yeah but this is it's called like a pet nat or the natural method uh of, of making wine it's a pretty cool thing so instead of just uh finishing in the barrel in the steel tank and then putting in bottle they take it about halfway through the fermentation process, bottle it, so you get this whole different taste. What's the really sweet, clear wine? It starts with an M. Uh, so sweet and clear wine. Sweet white wine. Muscadet? M. No, really like common. I think it starts with an, an M. I don't Muscadet. So there's a lot of sweet wines. Really, you know, there's really like sweet. Up I mean, here north, they do ice wines. Yeah. Which you, are sweet. Now, do you like ice or room temperature? Well, what ice mine, wine means is they leave the grapes until it freezes the first time. I hope then nobody they else them. listening to this knows no about worries. wine. He's going to laugh at it. It's all good. So they, they pull them when that happens. And what happens is the 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 freeze concentrates the yeah. sugars. So when they squeeze the wine, it gets this very high sugar wine, um, which tastes sweet. So that's where it's called ice wine because they pull it after it ices. Wine sitting on its side. You got to store. Why do you yeah. store it on its side? Yeah, because the cork's there, right? Yeah. So what wine in the bottle will do, if it's a well-made wine with a good cork, it will age forever, you know, for a long time, not forever, a couple decades if it's really good wine. And what the cork allows for is just enough oxygen to get into the wine to keep it alive and lively, Yeah. but not too much where it oxygenates and spoils. Yeah. So if you ever taking a bite of an apple and leave it on the counter? Yes. What happens to it? Like, dries out. And turns brown. It's gross. Gross, right? Yeah. You don't want to touch it. Same thing that happens with wine, oxygen. So you can't introduce a lot of oxygen, otherwise it spoils. Can all fruit produce wine? Uh, some can, but at the end of the day, grapes is going to produce good wine. Do you like anything other than grape wine? Mead, it's, uh, honey can okay. actually be converted, which is not really fruit, but yeah, yeah. it's a wine. But no, grapes. Grapes, grapes is a go-to. Grapes be for sure. So w the, with the... The cork, if you stand it upright, it dries out. It okay. dries out, too much oxygen get it in the spoils. So you leave it on its side so that the wine coming in contact with the cork, the cork doesn't dry out. Okay. So it allows it to age. There, um, I'm trying to think here in regard to the wine as well. well do you know off the top of your head my, maybe like the most expensive wine in the world? Uh, and then I got another wine question. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple. Napa Valley Screaming Eagle is one. Yeah, uh, it's about four thousand dollars at release for a bottle. For a bottle of wine, ah, that's yeah. not bad. At release means like 2018 vintage comes out, right? Yeah. Um, uh, DRC Domaine Romanacanti out of uh, Burgundy, France, is really sought after bottle about four, four, five thousand. The, the vines are 250 years old. So are these like gifts that, that the, the big guys at, at home office, you <laughs> guys yet. be doing nah, these? That'd be a pretty good gift. So uh, those are probably some of the more expensive bottles of, of wine. Um, there's some stuff in Bordeaux as well. But what makes it really expensive is 
you start to get into a good vintage year, right? So the weather was really good. So you get yeah. a really great winery plus a good vintage year. Plus it's a little bit older and people like getting drinking wine with some age on it. Is there ever too old? Is it ever like, ah, oh, that's too old? Yeah, I mean, it'll spoil eventually if it's not good, but a well-made wine can stick around for 40, 50 years. Are you ever like, more. I want to let this one sit for, like, would you, you is it like, ah, let me get this two-year-old wine or it's like the four-year-old's going to taste way better? Yeah, so it's it's a layered world, so you got to just know, like, if I'm drinking out of a certain region, yeah. like I know a Brunello da Montalcino needs 10 years before yeah. I touch it. Uh, but a Napa Cabernet could be good good in two to three years. So it just depends on the type of wine, how it's made. Is one more sugar? If it's got more sugar in it and less, like, acidity and tannin, it's going to be ready to drink uh, at a younger age. If it's got more, uh, you ever... Um, like imagine having like mothballs in your mouth, that drying sensation. Yeah. That's what tannin does for you. So it like dries out your mouth. It's not, yeah. it's not fun, right? And too much acidity. Imagine biting into like a lemon. Yep. It's too too astringent. Yep. So wines with that need a little bit more time for those things to kind of soften out. So you just got to kind of know. Yeah. This is why you, you, you either, you know, go to a restaurant, you talk to the sommelier or you know people like like me. Yeah, like you. Uh, yeah. So. Now, have you ever made your own wine? No, no, that's... Uh, that's a whole nother level of... of I swear uh, I saw a video of like I Rick. did a little bit of homemade. Now, Rick owns a winery in Italy, believe it or not. Okay, and I thought he was making some. I thought I saw some video or saw something of him like making le- some at they his have house. A, a real winery in Italy with a, a legitimate winemaker, and their wine is really good. Now, do they get it imported? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's is that really like, good. hey, just UPS that over? I wonder what that process is like. Uh, well, yeah, you ship it. And yeah, shipping costs and stuff. So yeah, but they uh, they do wine and they do their own olive oil. So oh wow, yeah, those are both. So do, are, there, are they named? Is it like Altig Wine? Like what it is, is it? called? I'm gonna forget. I don't. It's called what their after what their estate is, but the name's escaping me. But yeah, it's it's some it's good. Miracle of Renewals. Miracle. No, it's more Italian traditional. So. Well, I'm saying to set up your own winery oh, in, in yeah. Italy, oh, Miracle of sure. Renewal. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah. Come to our company. You can start your own winery. You can start right? your That's own winery. Your I yeah. could see Simon. Do, he He's he's really into wine. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. They go to Napa. Have you guys yeah. gone to Napa together? Napa no, Napa? we will link up. I get the, he texts me from time to time, the wine list. Where would you go with this? Yeah. You know, uh, so yeah. So I've been, co- you know, a lot of the SG. Are you the go-to now in the, co- you, does the anybody go-to. know more than you when it comes to wine? You know, co- David's often knows a lot about wine too. For real? Yeah, man. He's, I, he's smart with everything, but yeah. he knows a lot about wine for sure. Um, he's really good with the Napa stuff. I'm good for more international, the whole yeah. kind of gamut. But yeah, you can join the group. You're doing enough production. And what that means is it's part of the service. Yeah. If you're out and you need to get a good wine, you send me a picture of the menu and I'll tell you what to order. So, so I got, there's I do a, that for Simon. I do it for gigs. I do it for a decent amount of, there's a wine testing. I, I should have booked us uh, for there tonight, but they've got in the restaurant, it's like a wine bar. And they do wine Tasting. tastings and nice. things. It's all right. But I signed up for it because I know Simon staff, they, you know, Nat D and Katie McCabe, they love wine. Yeah. So I'll just go in and like pick the coolest looking bottle and say, yeah. <laughs> that one looks cool. <laughs> and send it there. I've been, I've been trying to work with the SJs. Everyone drinks Camus, right? And Camus yeah. is good, but it's, it's kind of, they kind of add some stuff to it to make yep. the sugar content high and the whole deal. So I've been trying to mentor some people on, yeah. you know, there's other stuff out there than just Camus. Yeah. Know? Same That's, price point. Or I even think I hear that often. Better, better stuff. So my mom likes 
uh, red red wine. She loves loves wine. I have her on a wine a box wine subscription. Nice. Like it sends yeah. like a box of yeah. different yeah. bottles. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so I'll I'll do that probably like once a quarter or so. Nice. Just send her nice. a box box of wine. Make yeah, up for my my absence. At your age, yeah, I had no interest. I had no clue. No right? clue. So, yeah, and it you're, takes you're way further ahead than me. And I've so. got a very bad sweet tooth. So when I drink, I hate alcohol because it's so tart. Yeah. So I'm like, this yeah. is gross. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I think I think it's. Merlot or something. I don't mm-hmm. know what it is. Something really sweet yeah. that I like. It's like a clear, okay. sugary. I'll ask him tonight at Capital. Okay. Because I've only had it like probably two or three times. Because if people like demand that I, have, some people, you know what I mean, is in the professional realm that we're yeah. in, they, yeah. they don't feel comfortable if you don't have a drink. And then yeah. that, then they see the drink I'll get. I'll get a strawberry daiquiri or I'll get a, <laughs> and I'm like, ah, you know what? We're definitely not doing this business deal. That's <laughs> funny. Yeah. Yeah. You, uh, you know, you got to start somewhere. Yeah. Right? And a lot of people start in the wine with something sweeter. It took me a while to adjust the cigars because yeah. I smoked s- yeah. acids for a while. Yeah. And uh, I stuck with acids and then I was able to kind of adjust to, um, I'm horrible with names and, and lyrics and just different things like that. But but I I know I got some Cubans downstairs. But there's a different type of cigar that I'll I'll okay. consistently smoke now, and it's more of a mild. But my palate, they say like your palate adjusts with cigars Just, as yeah. well. And I gotta uh, be honest, you won't tell anyone this. I still smoke a mild wrapper cigar, so I haven't I haven't evolved yet. Yeah, the cigar game. So. so I've had to. I mean, especially the the cigar lounge I go to is pretty union. Okay. Oh, so it's blue collar, nice. like hardcore guys that okay. are like, you know what I mean? When we all talk, you know, union shit to one yeah. another. So yeah. it's really actually a good experience, real laid back and everything like that. I might start signing groups out of there. I don't know if I'm allowed. <laughs> <laughs> um, favorite food? Kind of lean on like Italian. <laughs> uh, caucho e pepe. What is that? Cheese and pepper is what it means in, in Italian. So it's a Roman pasta okay that sounds phenomenal where now where do you like this from because it sounds like kitchen you can make i can do the homemade pasta i can do the whole thing and i'm so curious did you force your wife to like wine or did she like wine no she she liked wine she liked wine because i'm like dude i feel like she liked it more than me you know so this is something you guys can really connect on because i used to just sip on some you know whiskey or whatever you know beers and and yeah i feel like she liked it before me and now i kind of i'm more or less am into the knowledge of it even more so than even drinking it yep um but yeah yeah we enjoy it with the with a good meal but now are you de- are you desserts and sugar at all or nah oh yeah yeah i'll do some what's desserts. your favorite uh gosh great question probably i gotta go with cheesecake new york cheesecake that's good it's just old school you that's know good. uh good cannolis yeah are really good so my best friend growing up was italian like i think okay. his dad was first generation i worked okay. at the restaurant helped do dough helped do meatballs that was the worst you know what i mean so they had cannolis though and like so good his mom baked everything like she was every day she was baking cake she did everything for like the neighborhood and everything like yeah phenomenal <laughs> Phenom- they had the best food I, I still i went back for christmas and i went over to his house and had a huge plate of food they have everything you know what i mean it's like you my, can't beat it my number one though and here's the the only caveat is you got to be in italy is the gelato in italy oh that it's, sounds phenomenal it's phenomenal it's so good anywhere you go it's you know pistachio gelato yeah i mean there's some just wild wild stuff there it's so good now i know you said you know you don't watch any tv but do you like any movies is there was there do you have a favorite movie favorite movie yeah i mean i for I me that's watch, my favorite thing i, I will, love movies yeah i will watch movies i'm trying to think of favorites of all time man i have a list brave <laughs> braveheart braveheart's phenomenal braveheart's so good um 
Man on Fire. What's Denzel that? Denzel Washington. That's, That's a great. I love movie. Denzel Washington oh, movies. Phenomenal movie. I have to write this um, down. Um, trying to think what else. Wolf of Wall Street. I mean, come on. Yeah. You gotta love Wolf of Wall Street. Got to. DiCaprio. Um, other favorites. Last Samurai is a great movie. That's a good movie. I love that movie. Saving Private Ryan. That's a good movie. Um, trying to think of any newer ones that really, really were good. <clears throat> Those are probably my tops. Any newer ones you like? Uh, I love Marvel. So okay. I like all the, the Marvel movies. There's a new movie, uh, newer in the last few years. I'm real big on the war movies. I, I take clips from there, put it into the, nice. the groups and things like that. There's something about, you know, music and motivation, but there's another thing when somebody can like kind of re- relate to and embody like a, a moment in a movie mm-hmm. and it just kind of helps stir, yeah. stir the group. And, uh, it's King, King Arthur legend of the sword. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, uh, movie. so I really like that movie. Troy, Troy, that's one of my top, top Troy ones. Great. Movie. Yeah. That's yeah. one of my top movies for sure. Um, but yeah, what, and then the next thing I wanted to ask as we wrap up here is you, what, what was the first book that really smacked you? You know what I mean? Mine was The Secret. 21 Laws of Leadership. 21 Laws of yeah. Irrefutable Leadership? Yep. Love 21 it. 21 Laws. That's right when we came into Stray Smith, Marcus was on a big push with that book. And, yeah. And uh, yeah, that's really, that just did it for me. Law of the Lid. Law of the Lid. Right? It was like, that was it. Okay, yep. this is a lid. This is not a, this is not a microwave I'm in. Yeah. This is not a, yeah, this is a slow crock pot yep. type of leadership. Leadership is a lifelong, um, a lifelong journey. Yeah, you know, and that book just really helped me out. Yep, um, I try to read it every single uh, year. Get through it every single year when yeah. I can. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people say that. I've gone through it a few times too. So that was your favorite book. The other thing I wanted to hit was how did you and your wife meet? So she's a personal recruit. <laughs> for real. So, my uh, brother, yeah, uh, married uh, a, a lady that went to uh, college with him. Yeah, she was in a sorority. Yeah, and uh, her little, you know, they do little yeah, yeah. sorority was my wife. Yeah, so we met through them. Yeah, uh, um, years ago. Funny story. We met through them. Uh, when I met her the first time, I was going to meet with my brother. Uh, and he's at a wedding in downtown Cleveland. He had a hotel room. He said, hey, go to the hotel room. So I invited a couple of my buddies. They're working with American Income and my cousins. And we ended up having too good of a time and getting my brother kicked out of his hotel room. Yeah. I didn't tell my brother this. Yeah, yeah. So we go out in the town for the night. I meet uh, my brother, uh, my sister-in-law, and then my now wife. Yeah, And we go back to the hotel room uh, to all crash. And uh, there's security guard that meets us in the lobby and says, what are you doing back here? My brother says, what do you mean? I have a room here. He says, not anymore. You're kicked out. You guys are having a party. My brother's like, do you care to enlighten me? Uh, so I had to go into sales skills 101, and I went into negotiations with this guy to say, hey, it wasn't them. Let them stay. You know, let yeah. me. I'll, I'll leave. And so I was escorted out uh, of yeah. the lobby of this hotel by security. This is before the days of Uber. Yeah. This is before the days of taxis. So, like, we're downtown Cleveland we had to sleep on a in an RTA stop. That yeah. was the first time I met my wife. So it took me about four years after that to get the courage to actually ask her out on a date after that initial embarrassment. Wow. Uh, yeah. That's so, hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. That's hilarious. Well, this was what hour or so in? Yeah, an hour ten. Hour ten of of good fire information. Thanks for having me on. Good story. 
Anything else you want to go over, tips or things you feel like you want to add in there? You know, you, know? you asked about wine, right? Yes. One of the things I love about wines is parallel to, to business. Yes. And what I mean by that is when you really look um, in what it takes to make really good wine. Do you, do you ever looked at this at all? Not really. So what happens is wine is made in places with soil that doesn't have a lot of nutrients in it. Yeah. It's also made in places that doesn't rain a lot. Yep. Because that would actually make the grapes not good. And what happens is they grow vines in places where there's not a lot of nutrients in the soil. And the vines have to go dig deep, deep down 30 feet or more in order to steal the nutrients that they need um, to, 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 make a good, to, to make a good grape. And the older the vine, the more nutrients it is and the higher quality the grape's going to be. So I told you about that wine that's $4,000 a bottle yeah. at release. It's because the vines are 250 years old. Wow. And the, fam and the family, they have each vine named. They know names of them. They're like their own pets. So the parallel to, to business is, is, listen, if you start a business, right, and you want to, you think that, this is going to be easy, or you're going to get this year one, or you yeah. don't have to struggle a lot, then you're never going to produce anything good at the end. You wines, you have the vines have to struggle to produce great grapes. Yeah. And humans, you have to struggle to produce a great career and great results. So I always loved how that kind of parallel, and it's always a reminder to me. Yeah, of, that's listen, crazy. No struggle. No, you'll be, I always think of Boone's Farm. You ever have Boone's Farm? No. Super cheap, crappy wine, right? Yeah. Easily made, probably a lot of, you know, it's like, listen, you want to be Boone's Farm, then don't plan on struggling. Yeah. Don't plan on, on, on really giving a lot of effort and expecting overnight success. Yeah. But if you want to create great wine, right, or great yeah, yeah. careers, you got to plan on struggling. You got to plan on digging your roots down before you start making, you know, the best of the best. And I think in our society, too many people, they'll give up too quickly. Absolutely. Right? Or they'll check out too quickly. They'll mentally say, maybe this isn't for me. And it's like, no, no, no. This person's been growing their vines for 10 years. Yeah. They've been doing this for 10 years. Don't compare your chapter to theirs. So yeah. that'd probably be the last thing I'd say. Fire. Well, a lot of fire here. Anything you want to shout out, advertise, or get out to the company for the, the individuals that, that will listen? Yeah, I mean, you know, 2021, another record year. I mean, we're just blessed. You know, yeah. we talked about growth is fun. Just yep. fun to be to grow 2020 hit you know 2019 is a record year 2020 hits all of a sudden pandemic shuts us down we're like what do we do yeah home office did an unbelievable job transition everyone to virtual sales and virtual recruiting record setting year 2020 right 2021 yep. again presented a lot of challenges for businesses right even even uh uh, uh staffing right yep. Uh, again, we had a record year in 2021, and we're looking forward to another record year in 2022. So my shout-out would be to the 10,000 agents and managers just saying, you know, thank you um, for everything you do on a daily basis to make our company uh, what it is and to keep our company uh, breaking records um, and allowing us to, to do what it is we do. So Does the company know about that personal recruiting thing that, that they're going to be launching? Oh, yeah, yeah. So that's actually underway. Uh, okay. We just approved some of the final artwork on it. I'm excited for that. Yeah, so the Pinnac Pinnacle Recruiting Club. So yep. um, John, one of my other favorite books, John Maxwell, Maxwell Five Levels of Leadership. Yep. Um, level Five Leaders, the Pinnacle, which is a leader yep. who develops other leaders, right? And what we noticed was as we were creating this program to incentivize personal recruiting is – we looked at all the level five leaders in our company, Steve Greer, yep. right? Dave Zoffin, Simon Arias, Rick Altig, Jim yeah. Serace, Marcus Smith. 
and we noticed was, hey, these not only are they great leaders, but they also recruited a lot of the great leaders into the organization, right? Yeah. So what we understood is, hey, if you're never going to be reach pinnacle level, which only about 1% of leaders ever reach the pinnacle level, yeah. uh, but you're not going to reach that level with our company unless you're a member of the pinnacle club. So that's why we called it the pinnacle club. The idea here is we understand people want to be recognized, incentivized, and rewarded, right? Yep. Um, so it's a whole program where for personal recruits, not only does the bonus still in play that they get, but now in addition, additional um, incentives, additional rewards, additional prizes, um, uh, additional member benefits are included now. So imagine getting crazy to convention. stuff. Yeah. You get to convention, you got to jump on, I call it the Gen Pop bus, which is fine, yeah. but you get a private transfer. Yeah. A little bit cooler. You get in room Private transfers are really weird. You go, in, you go in a convention, you got an in-room gift. You yes. got a bottle of champagne and some yes. stuff. You got to imagine being your new guy. Dude, the bring, first time I saw somebody girl. holding my name, I was like, am I getting arrested? Right. <laughs> you know, coming in the airport and seeing some yeah. driver room. I'm like, uh, what? The? And that's that's home. I think that was probably home office. It was either home oh, yeah. office or, yeah, sure. or, or with Simon. And yeah. I was like, what is going on? Yeah. So we, uh, you know, we're wards on there. I mean, we get, we're doing Rolexes. I know. So, I heard yeah, about some yeah, Rolexes. Rolling, you got to have a Rolex. Got to so, have a Rolex. Uh, so, uh, yeah, you can earn a Rolex with the program. So we're yep. super excited about it. Um, we've been talking about it a little bit. You know, yeah. we're waiting until the final artwork's done, which is about to be finished up for the launch. People are excited. And the good yeah. news is any of the personal recruiting that happened in 2021 that's happening right now yeah. is going to be credited towards that program for phenomenal. Too, so that's exciting as well. So phenomenal. Yeah. No reason to wait for it to be announced. No reason to wait to go Amen. get your dreams. Go get it. Let's go. Well, I appreciate you, Mr. Labossi. Blessings. So thank you, A-Dog. I think it's on. a wrap, man.